0: Thanks. Well, all the way back in the year 2000, two Stanford professors noticed a disturbing but a very common trend in business. and that was that there were huge increases in the availability of education and, and training and consulting and coaching. There were more and more articles being written, there were studies, there were seminars available for training and increased efficiency. But most of it was producing very little change in the actual businesses. It was all kinds of opportunities for growth, all kinds of knowledge, all kinds of information out there, but nothing was really changing. They called the phenomenon and the book that they wrote the knowing-doing gap. The accumulation of knowledge without putting it into practice. Now, I actually used this as an illustration on a message that I did in Nehemiah a long time ago, and occasionally somebody will say something about, remember when you talked about the knowing-doing gap? So I look back to see when it was. Would it alarm you to know that it was eight and a half years ago? I thought it was like three years ago. Eight and a half. Does anybody remember me talking about the knowing-doing gap before? Just me and Joellen and Gavin. Okay, well, that's okay. It was eight and a half years ago, and to be, uh, you know, perfectly transparent, a lot of you weren't here eight and a half years ago, so you wouldn't have remembered anyway. Uh, The reason why I bring it up again is because I think it's appropriate for this point that we're at in Hebrews. See, we've spent... 21 Sunday mornings looking at the first nine and a half chapters of Hebrews. And as you know, for those of you that have been here for those Sundays, it's been a very thorough exposition of the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us as our Savior. But now we're kind of at a hinge point in the book, and the writer is going to move from doctrine to practicality. He's going to move us from this is what we need to know to this is what we need to do. What we believe must transfer into our actions. It is possible for us as Christ followers to look at God's Word, to love God's Word, to study His Word, to read it, to think about it, and then what? Hopefully we will act on it, but it's possible for us to do nothing with it. In fact, it's possible for us to come here on Sundays or to open our Bibles during the week, to go to our small groups and to think about all these things and to even talk about all of these things without allowing it to actually change our hearts and lives. Now the first area that the writer to the Hebrews is going to address for us in this new shift from doctrine to application from what we need to know to what we need to do is the gathering of together the gathering together rather of believers which of course is what we're doing here this morning. Now, remember that he wrote Hebrews to a bunch of Jews, a whole group of Jews. Some of them were saved, some of them were not, some of them were in danger of of waffling, of falling back into Judaism instead of going on in Christ, and that's what we've been discussing. Now, the Jews gathered regularly, first at the tabernacle, then at the temple. If you read the stories from the Old Testament, you will see that and you will know that, but their primary purpose for a gathering... Was to offer sacrifices for their sins. Now, what do we know about that? What do we know about the Jews' sacrifices for their sins and that whole sacrificial system? We know that it's what? No longer necessary, right? It's done, it's over. That's what we've been talking about. So now, when we are commanded to gather, it's different, it's new. Now, of course, we gather to glorify God, and that is our primary purpose, and there are lots of passages of Scripture that talk about that, but what this passage is going to focus on this morning is this, the gathering of believers is essential for our growth and endurance. I just thought of another reason why I'm looking forward to the tent. We won't have to listen to whatever that is. <laughs> spinning up there and whistling and humming and whatever it's doing. Look, we won't have to bother with things like air conditioning and heat. None of that will be, none of that will have, none of that baggage at the tent. So don't even worry about that stuff, okay? All right. So let's start reading in in Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 19 and see why the gathering is essential for our growth and endurance Hebrews 10:19 writer says therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now, we've referred to this a couple times. Pastor Tim referred to it several weeks ago. There are many places in Hebrews where he says, Therefore... He's trying to connect all this together. I know it's a lot. I know it's hard to remember it all, but he's trying to link these thoughts together for us. Therefore, based on everything that we've seen in the first nine and a half chapters is what he's talking about here. Now, if you remember, we've talked a little bit about the setup of the tabernacle in the temple that the Jews used. There was a big outer courtyard that everyone could go into. It was actually called the courtyard of the Gentiles, because even Gentiles could go there. Tabernacle and the temple were for Jews, but there was an area that the Gentiles could come into if they wanted to worship Jehovah as well. And then there was an inner courtyard, and then there was an inner sanctuary where only the priests could go. And then inside that sanctuary was one more room, and it was called the holy place, or the holiest of all. And into that room only the high priest could go. There were all kinds of priests, but only one high priest. And he was the only one that could go into that innermost sanctuary where the presence of God dwelt. And he could only go once a year with a sacrifice for the people. And what separated this very holy place from the rest of the sanctuary was a curtain. He refers to it here in those verses I just read to you. It was a curtain, or sometimes it was called a veil, and it separated that area from everything else, and it kept people out. Now, Matthew 27 tells us that when Christ died on the cross, that veil was torn from the top to the bottom. Now you might think about that and you will say, okay, so the veil tore, that's that's no big deal and I'm not even really sure how much security a curtain is because you're probably thinking about the curtains in your house that you pull over at night so people can't look in that are just thin material. Some of them you can kind of see through, they're kind of translucent, but that's not what this was. In fact, the fact that the veil was torn at all was miraculous in itself because the veil was 45 feet tall and it was 4 inches thick. That didn't just tear any which way. That was miraculous. God tore that veil in two. Why did he do that? Well, he did that because the presence of God was no longer restricted to just the high priest. Instead of saying, oh, you can't go in there anymore, even to the priests, only the high priest, and he can only go once a year, God was saying what? Everyone can come into my presence now. And this is what the writer is referring to. The veil was torn, the way was opened, so that we could enter in. Now, the Jews were confused about a lot of things at this time. That's why this book was written. They struggled with what all of this meant. And many of them, and many still don't, many Jews still don't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But there were some things that they were very, very strong on. And one of them was the holiness of God. The Jewish people had a tremendous reverence for God. And they took it very seriously, coming before him. They wouldn't even dream. A a Jew would not even dream of entering that sanctuary, never mind the holiest place of all. They wouldn't dream of it. In fact, they didn't even say the name of God. It was literally unpronounceable. They refused to say it because of how they felt about his holiness. But now the writer is saying, this is the privilege that we have. This is our new arrangement. The question is, what are we going to do with this knowledge? For us as Christ followers, this is the knowing-doing gap. We've spent 21 weeks talking about this amazing privilege that we have to come into the presence of God. And now I'm going to ask you this morning, what are you going to do with it? He's going to challenge us to do five things. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So if you're keeping track, my friends, here's thing one. Draw near to God. The phrase draw near means to approach. It means to come close. Again, this was not possible. The Jews had a relationship with God in the Old Testament. We read about it. They, They knew who God was. They honored God. They worshiped Him. They revered Him. They, in fact, loved Him. But there was one thing that they did not have, and that was a close relationship with Him. He was God. And there was no intimacy there. Now the writer says, because of all that's happened, we need to make every effort to develop our relationship with God. Do we even understand or comprehend the amazing privilege that we have now? God, who was, who was before this time unattainable, unapproachable, now we can walk into his presence we can come directly into his presence. How do we do that? Well, he says we need to do it with a true heart, literally a sincere heart, a genuine heart, a real heart. We need to be sincere and open before God, not hiding from him or not trying to hide things about ourselves from him. If you remember, a few, it's been a few weeks ago now, But we were talking about that passage in chapter 4 that talks about the word of God being sharper than a two-edged sword. Does anybody remember that? And it pierces our soul and and it lays us open and bare before God. Remember that next verse, Hebrews 4.13 says that we we are naked and exposed before God, before the one who sees everything. And yet what do we do? I'm guessing you do it too, just like me. What do we do? Say, oh God, here I am, I love you. But over here somewhere we have this little corner that we close and we cover and say, but don't look in there. Don't look at that part of me. Or we say, this is me, this is what I am. And when everybody can see, we say, I'm a worshiper, I'm a godly person, I'm walking with God. But but. This is something we're hiding. Writer says we need to do everything that we can to draw near to Him, to be sincere and open to Him. When we do sin, we talked about this last week. Of course, we sin. We all do, myself included. But when we do, we come to Him and we say, God, I've violated your trust. I've sinned. I've violated our relationship. But I hate my sin, and I know what you've done for me, and I want to live in what you have done for me. How can we do that? How can we, who are still sinful, even though Christ has saved us, still sinful, how can we come into the presence of a holy God? He says we do it, look at the verse, in full assurance of faith with conviction and confidence. My friends, listen to me. Do you really believe that this stuff is true that we've been talking about? Do you really believe that Christ died on the cross for you? Do you really believe that he cleansed your heart, that he forgave your sin, that he removed it as far from you as the east is from the west? Do you really believe that? Do you? Then approach him with confidence. Approach him in full assurance that it is true, that he loves you. A true disciple doesn't turn and run away from God in difficulty. He turns and runs to God. He draws nearer. He comes closer. Why? Because he knows the only way he is going to survive is the strength and the power of Christ. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So thing one is draw near to God. Thing two is keep going. Because of what we know, about what Christ has done for us, we're to keep going. It says here, hold fast. That means to bind or possess or to keep. It means to, it means to hang on to what we know to be true. I'll ask you again. Do you believe it? Do you believe all the stuff that we've been talking about? About what Christ has, has done for you? Do you believe it, my friends? Then keep going. Keep going. He says, without wavering. That means resolute. I'm going to keep going. I couldn't even begin to tell you all of the crazy things that have happened even just in this past week with everything that is going on with our move and our transition and, and everything that's happening all over and all of our things that we're doing. And I've said multiple times, and I'll probably say it multiple more times in the next few months. What other choice do we have? Keep going. What's the other option? On the opposite side of keep, if you're not going to keep going, what's the other option? Quit. Quit, fall away. Is that what you want to do? Is that honoring to God? Is that a, is that a good response to what Christ has done for us? No, because of what everything, everything that he has done for us, we keep going. One of my favorite movies is called Warrior. Warrior. It's a story of a father and his two sons, and there's a healthy dose of MMA, UFC-type stuff in it, too. So if you don't like that stuff, I don't recommend it. If you do, I highly recommend it. It's a great movie. It's an incredible story. One brother, never lost in his entire life, unbelievable fighter, conquered every foe, lived a very difficult life. Went overseas, was in the service, came back looking to restart his career. The other brother was the underdog, never the best, even in his own family. There's a whole confluence of events. I can't tell you the whole story here this morning, but at one point, the brothers are both in a competition, and the youngest, the other brother, or the oldest brother actually, but the underdog who everyone is doubting, who everyone is second-guessing, who no one believes in, is heading after winning a very, very unlikely victory. And his father is standing there. He's saying, I love you, I love you. They have a very strained relationship. And I love this, my favorite part of the movie. He's walking by the underdog that no one believes in, and he's just come off this great victory, and he says, I'm doing this! I'm doing it. What does he mean? I'm going all the way. I'm going to win this. I'm going to do it, and nothing's going to stop me. And i got to tell you, I, uh, you, know I would be destroyed in five seconds in the cage, but sometimes I feel like that. I'm doing this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep going. Why? Because I know what Christ did for me, and the other option is quitting, and I'm not going to do that. That's what we need. That's what we need. Why don't we waver? Is it because we're so strong? Is it because we're so good? No, of course not. It's because he is faithful. See, that's what it says right in the verse. I don't make this stuff up, people. All you got to do is look at the verse. What does it say? Why do we continue? Why do we hold fast without wavering? Because what? Because I'm good? Because I'm sinless? Because I'm strong? Because I'm faithful? No, because he is faithful. We don't waver because God is trustworthy. He's dependable. He is unchanging. And we need to notice one more ver- word in this verse before we move on. I don't know if anyone noticed it or not. Of course, I know you don't have your Greek New Testament with you. But if you noticed it or not, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Guess what? You know, don't you? Some of you know. I can tell already. You know what that word is, right? Right, I can see Tim is mouthing it homologuminous our favorite Greek word. Well, my favorite Greek word that I keep pushing on you guys. Literally, to say the same thing, to agree collectively and proclaim it, common confession. So thing two is keep going, and we keep going best together. You know what's even it's even more strengthening and encouraging to my faith when I say, I'm doing this, I'm doing it, is when the some of you with me saying the same thing. A single-minded stand for Christ was not popular in the days that Hebrews was written. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it's not too popular today either so we draw near and we hold fast and we keep going together together the next three things develop that truth look at verse 24 let us consider how to stir one another or stir up one another to love and good works so thing 3 is we need to challenge each other an integral aspect of the gathering is promoting growth. We need to promote growth in each other. Stimulating consistency is more than just enduring together. I mean, that's sometimes, you know, sometimes we get to the end, right? And what do we say? We, we say, it's been a day. And sometimes just keeping going is enough, but it's not enough long term, okay? Okay? There has to be more to it than just keeping going. We need, to, we need to challenge each other to grow and to progress. And he says we need to consider how to do this, literally, to, to give care and attentiveness and, perce- and uh, perception. In other words, this requires time and effort and thought. What does that mean? It means this. It means we need to be thinking about how to challenge each other. We need to be thinking about how to encourage each other to grow. The phrase stir up there literally means to provoke. And it carries with it this idea, which I thought was interesting as I studied this phrase out, stir each other up. It means to jab, to elicit a reaction. (laughs) Have you ever done that? To jab. Yeah, go ahead, you know, jab the person next to you if they're nodding off a little bit. To jab, to elicit a reaction. Um, I know it's a long time, and you can't believe that I can remember this, but all the way back when I was in grade two, <laughs> which was a long time ago, um, where I went to school at that point when we went downstairs, the whole class went together to go to the bathroom, to go to another part of the school for a different class or whatever and we would get in a line, boys in one line, girls in another line, and we would go down and we had gone down and we were we were waiting for our turn to go into the bathroom and I'm standing in the line and my best friend at the time, Bobby Dunn, was standing right behind me. And I was standing there. My, I was a I was a really good kid. I really was. I just minded my own business. And all of a sudden, I'm sitting there also like yeah, and I turned around, and my best friend had taken a safety pin and bent it open and jabbed me right in the rear end <laughs> in the line. And part of the rules of the line where you have to stay in the line and be quiet, right? I said, "What'd you do that for?" He goes, "Yeah." Steve Benton was standing in front of me. I do remember these people's names. I caught up with Steve many years later, and we were actually reminisced about this part that I'm going to tell you next. <laughs> he said, do it to Steve. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. He goes, yeah, yeah, come on. That'll be fun. It'll be cool. And then he'll do it to the next guy. So, yeah, yeah, that might be fun. So I took the pin. <laughs> Steve. Only Steve didn't go, "Ah." Steve went, ow! Mike, why did you do that? (laughs) And Miss Moore was alerted to the situation. Long story short, Bobby and I had a little meeting with the paddle later that day and a note home to our parents. That's the word... That's the word that is used here, to jab, to elicit a reaction. Now, I didn't have the greatest of intentions when I jabbed Steve with the pen, But that's the picture that we should have in our minds. Sometimes, as we are called by Scripture to jab each other to elicit a reaction. Sometimes it's a a little shocking. Sometimes it can be even a little painful. But unlike my situation in grade two, when we do it with each other, it's important. (laughs) It's necessary. And I know that we look around and say, oh, I can't do that. I I hardly know that guy. I can't go up to him and tell him he needs to smarten up. Well, you're right. It needs to happen in relationship. That's why we're being challenged to do this together. We need to develop the relationship so that we can do this effectively. Sometimes I need to be challenged. Sometimes I need to be nudged back on course. And sometimes you do. My question for you here at this point is, is there someone in your life who is close enough to do that? Is there somebody in your life who has who has permission, who has the right to speak into your life. You need that. You need that. We all do. Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Here's thing four. Don't desert the body. Don't desert the body. Now, some of you might be looking at this and reading it in your Bible or seeing it on the screen and say, well, you know, Mike, that's, that's kind of strong. Don't desert the body. You know, make it sound like we're going AWOL or something. Actually, our English Bible kind of soft-pedals this word a little bit because the word, the Greek word that's translated neglect in our Bibles literally means to desert or abandon that's what it means, to desert our man. Don't desert the body. Meeting together, he says, the gathering, the assembling. Don't explain it away, my friends. What we are being called to do is gather together in one place. We absolutely cannot do what we are called to do if we are not together. If we are not looking each other in the eye, I don't know if it's unnerving to you, that's probably why nobody likes to sit in theater one, but sometimes when I'm speaking, I look people in the eye, and I look you in the eye, and I know you can tell I'm looking you in the eye. We can't do what he's calling us to do unless we're together, looking at each other, wrapping our arms around each other sometimes, encouraging, challenging each other. There's no substitute for it. Now, notice what he says about this. He says, as is the habit of some. People come and go constantly. If there's one thing that I have learned in 30 years of doing this, it is that people come and go constantly. About three years ago, we had a little blip on the radar there. And a bunch of people left and never came back. Gone. And yes, as romantic as it sounds when I describe it, next week we're going to be in a tent. And yes, I know, but thank you for reminding me, some of you, the last couple of weeks. It could be hot some weeks and it might get cold in a few weeks, and I get it. No comfy chairs, no live stream. But the writer is challenging us. He says, He's saying, Don't be a waffler. Don't be a waffler. Don't come and go and come back without commitment or without involvement. Will you desert the body because it's not comfy? How much does it take to keep you away from the body? Because that will tell you how much the body and Christ and your faith really mean to you. thing 5 is also right here in that verse we just read verse 25 and it is encourage each other so draw near hold fast challenge each other don't desert the body and number 5 encourage one another he contrasts this with deserting the body that's why he puts them in the same he says don't desert the body but encourage each other it's the opposite we must come close beside to help that's what that means sometimes sometimes we need to be challenged right can we all just agree that sometimes we need to we need the you know? I'm going to pass out safety pins after the service. (laughs) Sometimes we need to be jabbed, right? Sometimes we need to be nudged. Sometimes we get a little lazy, a little lackadaisical, maybe not taking this as seriously as we need to. Our faith and our responsibility and our walk with Christ, sometimes we need the jab. Not that jab, but the the safety pin (laughs) jab. But sometimes we need to be encouraged. Sometimes it's not, it's not a jab that we need. Sometimes it's, it's a hug that we need. Sometimes we literally need someone to wrap their arms around us, to reassure us, to refocus us on the positive. I told you there's been a whole pile of people helping with all of this transition and, and doing everything. There's been a lot of work that's gone on that, that many of you don't even have any idea of. One of the things that needed to be done was we ordered a bunch of chairs for the tent. And these chairs came in pallets, shrink-wrapped, and every single chair was completely covered with wrapping. Like, not in a nice, neat box that you tear open on Christmas morning, but like your smart Alec brother who takes something and, you know, like this, you know, all the way around. And you know exactly what it is, but it's completely wrapped up. That's what these chairs looked like. And they had to be unwrapped, and someone had come along and asked if there was something they could do to help, and I said, well, you know what would be really great is if those chairs got unwrapped. And then we didn't have to think about that when the tent comes and whatever, and a couple of days later, I came back to the office from meeting with someone, and I walked in and there were seven or eight people in the admin building in that big room unwrapping chairs, and they were laughing, and they were talking, and they were joking with each other. And it, honestly, it looked like a bunch of toddlers on Christmas morning, sitting in the middle. The, the whole floor was covered with paper and boxes, and they were laughing, and they were going on, carrying on. And I thanked them for doing that, and they teased me about shuffling it off on them so I didn't have to do it, and we laughed. And I went back to my office, and I thought, you know what? For me, that wasn't just about getting the chairs unwrapped. That was encouraging to me to see a group of people in there just doing what needed to be done. That encouraged me. Reminded me that we had hope (laughs) that this was all going to get done. And he says, all the more, as you see the day approaching, what day? Well, you know, the day the day when Christ comes back and says, all right, I'm ready to set things right. (sighs) The need for us to do this for each other will increase because it will become more and more difficult to keep going. That's just the fact. If you think the tent is a downer, That's nothing. How many of us would gather if there were real persecution? That's what we need to be asking ourselves. And that's why all the more we need to encourage each other. My friends, listen gathering with other Christ followers is essential for you. You must commit to the local church if you are a Christ follower. I know you could say, well, well, you're a pastor, so you've got to say that. That's what you want to see. That's what gets you excited to see all the chairs full. Well, (laughs) I do want to see you here, but that's not why. Quite simply, you must commit to the gathering of God's people because this is integral to what it means to be a part of God's family. It's integral to what it means to be a Christ follower. In 1 John 4, the Apostle John, who is arguably the closest to Jesus of all the disciples, many passages lead us to believe that. In 1 John 4, he says, if God loves us, does he? If God loves us, we must love each other. It's not something that we grow into. It's not an add-on. It's not something that we strive for. If you understand what it means to love God, then you must love the body. You must love each other. You must love the gathering. You must want to be together. It is a reflection of our commitment to Christ. How is your knowing-doing gap looking? Will you live the truth that you know? If you're an unbeliever, come to Christ today. This message is for you. If you confess your sin, if you believe that He is able to save you from your sin and to raise you from the dead, then you will be saved. And on the last day when all are judged, you will be ushered into the presence of God. If you're a waffler, get off the fence. Stop messing around. Draw near to God with confidence, with an open, honest heart. Acknowledge where you are and where you need to be. And don't stay home next week because we're in a tent. Gather with the body to challenge, to encourage. And if you are committed to the body, if you are committed to the gathering, then my message for you is hold fast. It may not be easy, but we're here together. We need to challenge and encourage each other. So, is coming to church essential for you? Remember that? Essential, non-essential? You remember that? When everything got put into two lists—essential, non-essential—how do you treat the gathering of the body? What comes before it on your priority list? More sleep, sleep, breakfast out, a trip to the lake, a ball game, work. What's on your list? I don't. Know. Did you ever wonder why? Do you ever think about why the government put church and church gatherings on the non-essential list instead of the essential? Well, we could talk about all the conspiracy theory reasons, but you want to know what I thought of the other day? So many, see my air quotes, so many Christians treat it as non-essential. Why would the government think any different? Not for me. Mm Mm-mm. I'm going to live the truth I know. I'm going to keep going. What do you think would happen if we all decided to do that together? How many ever of us are here today? 250 or so probably. If we all decided we're in, we're doing this. Parking lot, greenhouse, fairground, movie theater, tent, building, someday. (laughs) What do you think would happen? I think God would smile on us. I think he would change people's lives. I think he would change your life. I think he would change your family tree. I think he would use us wherever we go within the body and outside of it. Exactly 22 months, my friends. That's how long we've been here. And now it's time for the next thing. We need his grace. We need his help. We need his strength. And we need to do it together. I'm going to invite you to stand up with us right now. We're going to sing one last song in the movie theater. And then we're going to go.